This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Moorhead team, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, we've got Lloyd Minnick, the Operations Manager and Green Building Expert for Fortunate Foundations. Hey, Lloyd, how are you? I'm doing fine, Jordan. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us here today. I'm really excited to talk about some of the stuff we just talked about before we started the show and just learn more about green building in Austin and why you guys are just knocking it out of the park. So real quick, could you tell us who you are and how you're involved with real estate in Austin, Texas? Sure. Yeah, I'm the the operations manager for Fortunate Foundations, like you said, and Fortunate Foundations is a green builder and real estate development firm here in Austin. Um, The company was started in 2017 uh, by Lawrence and Leanne. Leanne's been on the podcast. And uh, at first they were just real estate, you know, investors and developers and working with with general contractors to, to do the actual building. But after a couple of years of that, they decided to uh, become builders themselves and in-house that general contracting function. And so in 2019, I was their first hire and um, have since then helped grow the team um, from four people in 2019 to 12 or 13 now today. And uh, yeah, we do urban infill where we're, we're buying up you know vacant lots or houses that are ready to be uh, torn down and replaced and um, throughout East Austin, South Austin, a little bit of North Central Austin, and then building two or three or four houses where there used to be one and uh, building green homes and and trying to build really high performance, energy efficient homes that are, uh, you know, healthy for people and good for the environment. And um, yeah, one of my primary roles with the company is is overseeing design and overseeing our compliance with uh, with the green building programs we work with and, um, and then, you know, over helping to oversee quality control through the construction process to make sure we hit those, those green building and performance goals. Awesome. Yeah. And y'all do a really good job with, with making the best use of space. So, you know, you mentioned you do kind of East, North central and South Austin, but I've seen a lot of your projects where you take a lot where there's maybe one house and you put two beautiful new homes on it that look great. They're really modern and again, are energy efficient. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about what the green building program in Austin is and why it's different than the rest of the country? And really let's just start there, but we'll keep going from that spot. Sure. Yeah. So the green building certifier that we work with most is Austin Energy Green Building. And it's actually the oldest green building certifier in the country. Uh, I think it was in the late 80s or early 90s that that program was developed. So it, it predates the lead, which is 
uh, probably one of the more popular green building programs that most people have heard of with like lead platinum, lead gold. Um, but yeah, Austin Energy Green Building uh, is, is, you know, one of the pioneers of, uh, of, of green building programs in, in the U.S. And um, yeah, they have a kind of a holistic take on green building with, with different categories um, in which you can earn points and, and hit these basic minimum requirements. So there's categories like energy efficiency and, and water use and, uh, you know, resources and materials and even homeowner education indoor air quality. And so it's in all of these different categories, there are basic requirements you have to hit at each tier of the program. And you can score, you know, one star, two star, up to five stars. So they have, you know, five tiers. Um, but then there's also aggregate point totals you have to hit to reach each tier where there's some freedom for builders to you know, earn points in, in different creative ways. And, um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a great program and, um, they're very familiar with the Austin climate and the, the local market and industry. And, and so the, the program really is a good fit for, for us here in Austin to, to try to, you know, build homes that are, you know, better for people and better for the environment. Awesome. And, you know, I think everybody wants their home to be as green as possible anymore or as energy efficient as possible anymore. You mentioned something that I was unaware of there. You said there's a homeowner education component to that. What is that? And are, are you guys involved in that or do they need to go learn on their own? Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing to build an energy efficient home. But for it to perform as an energy efficient home, it needs to be operated like one. And so, you know, that entails, you know, educating the, the buyers about one, how to use the systems um, that went into the home. So how to use their, their water heater and their HVAC, uh, you know, their, their air conditioning and, and heating systems most efficiently, um, how to manage their water wise landscape efficiently. And so, yeah, absolutely. That's something we're involved in. We do uh, a homeowner walkthrough uh, to show them all the green building features that went into their home. Uh, a lot of which are actually invisible <laughs> to the, to the end user. They're, they're built into the walls or they're, they're, you know, baked into the design in such a way that they're not obvious. And, and so there's value there that they wouldn't even know they're getting if you didn't point it out to them. And we provide a homeowner manual, like a detailed guide uh, of all the different, you know, systems in their home and, and how to use them and, and work with them. So that's really what's meant by, by homeowner education. And it's, it, it really is a, a critical piece to the, to the sustainability puzzle. Awesome. Um, and I think it would help to clarify more what is energy efficient. So everybody knows, um, you know, you hear these high efficiency furnaces and all that sort of stuff. So what's a comparison from a normal house to an energy efficient house that y'all build? Um, can you give us any sort of difference in the amount of somehow measuring the amount of energy used in each or what would qualify? Why, why would somebody care is what I'm trying to get at. You know, what's the benefit for the homeowner? Yeah. Um, well, so at the at the end of the day, really, 
the, the benefit to the homeowner is that they save money with an energy efficient home. Energy costs money. And, you know, kind of beyond the homeowner, energy producing and delivering energy uh, has an impact on the environment. So if you can reduce the amount of energy being used in the home, you know, you're, it's going to be better for the environment. Um, in Texas, the biggest user of energy in the home is, is going to be heating and cooling. Um, you know, the second biggest uh, user of energy in the home is probably water heating uh, for your showers and your, your dishwasher and washing machine. Um, so those are the, really the main areas where we f focus to, to get kind of the, the most bang for our buck. Um, and that entails, first and foremost, having a very efficient building envelope. So a very well insulated building as well as a, a very airtight building that's not just leaking heated air or air conditioned air, you know, um, through, through the building envelope. Um, you know, this also entails having higher quality windows. Um, and we can talk about some of the, the features with windows. Um, and, but it, it has to do, I mean, insulation is a big one, but air tightness is also a, a big one. And, and these are things that you have to pay really close attention to with the design, but then also throughout the construction process and make sure that these things are, be, are being put together uh, with a high level of craftsmanship. Awesome. So, so you, your houses are not only more energy efficient, but I think we could probably say that they're built better because you're paying so much attention of how everything's going together and making sure that it's built with high craftsmanship, but you've just got this much higher quality house. that's also very energy efficient. Um, you mentioned windows there, and I know Leanne and I talked a little bit about window placement. I didn't hear anything about uh, higher quality windows. So what's the a normal window that you use compared to a house with just regular, let's say vinyl, white vinyl windows. What's the difference there? And can you talk a little bit more about the placement of the windows and why that matters too? Yes, absolutely. Um, and there's, I actually don't have any problem with vinyl uh, per se. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's actually a pretty good material for window frames. Uh, what is not a good material for window frames in this climate is metal. Any, any type of window frame made out of metal. Um, metal conducts heat very, very efficiently. So you could have a super well insulated building, I mean, with really well insulated walls. And then if you have metal window frames, it's just like a highway for heat to travel, um, you know, uh, in, inside or outside your house. Um, so yeah, the, with, with windows, um, the window frames are really important. Um, and then, you know, the type of glass that you use, uh, the, the number of layers of glass that you use. So, I mean, kind of a bare minimum in this climate is going to be double pane windows and almost nobody, unless they're really cheap, uses single pane windows, um, anymore in this climate. But if you're in an older home, it, they probably do have single pane windows, um, now you can go up to triple pane and in more northern climates. Uh, that's really common for builders going for really high energy efficiency. 
uh, in this climate, we can we can actually still do really well with with double pane. And then you'll want to coat one side of the glass with what's called low E coating. Um, and this is just kind of like a reflective material that reduces some of the solar heat gain um, that you get through untreated glass. Uh, and you can also fill the space between glass panes with, with an inert gas like argon. Um, and that just creates like an extra insulation layer. It's basically a way to make that air gap between the panes more insulative. So those are some of the basic features, double pane, low E coating, argon fill, non-metallic frames um, that are kind of like the bare minimum that you'd look for in windows for an energy efficient home. And then as far as window placement goes, uh, you, you wanna be mindful of, of your window placement because of you know, the, the heat you can gain from the sunlight which can be advantageous or disadvantageous. Um, and the heat loss you get through the windows as well is something to take into consideration because um, even, even if you're investing in, in slightly higher quality windows, they're still not gonna be as well insulated as your walls. Uh, so there's still kind of a weakness in your thermal envelope, uh, no matter what. So having say too many windows on the north side of your house um, is going to cost you a lot of heat in the winter because um, you're not getting any solar heat gain through those windows and you're just letting a lot of heat out. Having too many southern facing windows or western facing windows in the summer isn't going to be good because um, then your air conditioning bills are just going to go through the roof because of all the solar heat gain you're going to you're going to get from the sun. So um, you you want to uh, you know, have your windows on the right, on the correct sides of the house in the right proportions and with the right shading uh, design uh, to optimize uh, solar for solar heat gain when you want it and for reducing it when you don't want it. Okay. So can, that makes a lot of sense that you're just putting the windows in your proportionally with, with what you need to do to make sure you're the most energy efficient. Um, with the other building, so with let's just talk about air tightness. So I know the a big thing is just air leakage in houses. When you've got air leaking out, that's a big deal. How do you build to make sure you're as airtight as possible? Because you know you just assume, oh, there's siding on the house, there's a wrap on the house, uh, framing sheetrock, the air is just not going to get out. But I know that's not the truth. And how do you overcome having leaks? Yeah, it really starts with design and understanding what your airtight layer is all the way around the house. And this gets particularly important to pay attention to at the intersections of uh, different assemblies. So where the roof meets the wall or where the wall meets the foundation and, you know, around windows and doors. Um, or if you have sort of complex building geometries like, you know, cantilevered overhanging areas and, and uh, conditioned spaces over unconditioned spaces like above a garage or a porch. Um, you know, these are places where you really got to pay attention to how you're tying everything together into a continuous um, airtight layer. Um, 
you, you know, because the airtight layer, it has to be continuous. I mean, air is going to find a hole somewhere. So it doesn't do you any good to have three layers that are 95% airtight. It'd be better to have just one layer that's, a, you know, completely airtight because air is just going to going to find its way through otherwise. So it starts with design. And then, um, you know, in terms of how, how we accomplish that, um, there's lots of different materials that you can use to, to create that airtight layer. You can even use um, the sheathing, uh, the, the, the plywood or OSB sheathing as your airtight layer if you're, if you're taping or you know, sealing all of the seams. Mm. Um, and you can potentially use, um, you know, your, your, you mentioned Tyvek, uh, which is a, a, a weather resistive barrier, a WRB, uh, that could potentially be used as your airtight layer as well if you're taping all of the seams. Most people don't, aren't relying on their Tyvek to be an airtight layer. So they're just, you know, stapling it. It's more to be a water resistive layer. Um, and in our case, um, most frequently we use actually our exterior insulation layer um, as our air barrier, and we we which goes outside of the sheathing, and and we're we're sealing all the seams of that. So there's different approaches to it, but really it's it it comes down to having clarity about what your airtight layer is and how how they meet up at all of these different intersections and interfaces between different parts of the building. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you, you mentioned just a second ago, insulation, an exterior insulation layer. Um, so for our listeners who aren't just intimately familiar with building, um, you mentioned Tyvek, that's the wrap that goes around the OSB typically mm -hmm. on homes. So OSB is like a plywood. Exactly. Uh, wrap that with a Tyvek type wrap, a weather resistant barrier, and then there's siding on top of that. Um, you also mentioned insulation. So I know a couple different kinds of insulation. How do you insulate houses at Fortunate Foundations? Yeah, so most people are familiar with insulation going in between the wall studs mm -hmm. in the wall. Uh, the most common type is fiberglass bat insulation. You know, the, the long strips of, of fiberglass, some of them have paper on one side, some of them don't. Um, and then, um, you know, and other types of common, you know, insulation uh, include spray foam, uh, which is what we use uh, in the cavities between the studs. You can use mineral wool, you can use, uh, you know, cellulose and, and um, different types of products. Uh, but we typically use open cell spray foam, uh, which is pretty good as a nice high R value per inch. Um, it's relatively quick to apply. Um, but when it comes to insulation, if it's there's a lot of benefit that can be gained from adding a second layer of insulation on the outside of your, of your studs and your sheathing layer. Uh, and this is because wood is a pretty good conductor of heat. Um, it's, it's not a great insulator. So when you only have insulation between your studs, 
Um, every stud acts as a thermal bridge, allowing heat to travel through the wall. And so um, what we do is we use like a rigid foam board that comes in four foot by eight foot sheets that we hang outside of the sheathing layer, which sheathing gets attached to the studs. And then on the outside of that sheathing, we, ha we have another layer of this rigid foam insulation. And then the, the siding goes outside of that. So between the siding and the sheathing is an insulation layer. That's um, some of our projects is a half inch thick. We're, we're working on a project now where it's three inches thick. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's, that's for the passive house that we're building which we, we, we ought to talk about in a little yeah. bit. But having this uh, continuous exterior insulation layer, it, it reduces the thermal bridging you get through the wood framing. Okay, so just to kind of paint a visual of this for people. So, you know, typical houses have studs and then on the outside of the studs, there's the, the OSB. So you're doing spray foam insulation in between the studs in the wall cavities on the other side of so for to help me understand let's say studs osb spray foam insulation in the wall cavities there what comes next is that the the tyvek wrap no so we don't use tyvek okay. um it's just the the foam board mm -hmm. um and then the in, uh, and then the siding. Okay. Um, and this this can be done depending on the type of foam board that you use. So we use um, a product called poly iso. Um, there's also extruded polystyrene mm -hmm. and um, you know different types of of foam insulation you can use. And basically, some of them are are open cell and some of them are closed cell. And this affects how watertight they are. So the fact that we use a closed cell, like watertight insulation layer means that it doubles as our insulation layer. It actually triples as our insulation layer, um, our airtight layer, because we, we seal all the seams and our water resistive barrier. So one material accomplishes all three in, in our approach. Okay, yeah, so you don't have any need for a, a Tyvek. Because you've exactly. got that exterior insulation. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah, I just wanted to paint a visual for mostly myself because I wasn't understanding it there um, mm -hmm. of what's going on. Some, some builders will still use Tyvek on the outside of a con an exterior insulation layer. It largely depends on the type of insulation they're using. Mm -hmm. And it depends also on whether they're sealing all of the seams of that insulation layer like we are. Because if you're not doing that, then water could still get into your OSB, uh, so you'd you you could you might find that it's just not worth the trouble of sealing all the seams. That it's just faster to put a, a layer of Tyvek, uh, hypothetically. Sure, that's no. possible. I mean, the, it, it makes a lot of sense from a labor perspective. So if they were using open cell and not sealing the seams, and for people listening, uh, labor is one of the most expensive things in construction that I see when I do any sort of construction project. And if you're going around, and this is just me spitballing, but I would imagine if you're going around having somebody seal every little seam, probably takes a lot more time than just wrapping some Tyvek around it, 
and calling it a day. Yes, um, I suspect so. Uh, okay. And if you weren't, um, if you weren't as obsessed with air tightness as we are, <laughs> you, yeah, you, um, you, you might prefer to go that route. But if you are, then in either case, you're having you have seams to sure. seal, and so um, yeah, it's hard to say what what the trade or you know what's going to be more efficient or or not. Sure. And I think, yeah, it, you know, from your perspective, it sounds like Fortunate Foundations is just going for as energy efficient as possible. And that's awesome. Because I think that's a huge traction to the construction projects you all do. Um, but yeah, where somebody else like a Lennar is just trying to pop up these boxes one after another, um, they might just go and wrap it and call it a day. Um, you mentioned a minute ago, and I know Leanne and I talked about it a little bit, something called a passive house. So before we even start talking about it, the passive house, could you explain what a passive house is to our listeners? And then we can maybe talk more about what you're doing here. Yes. So passive house is a green building code uh, that was developed in Germany. Um, and it's now become an international, um, you know, standard. And it is, you know, arguably the most rigorous green building standard out there. The most rigorous popular one anyway. Sounds fun. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it, it definitely takes things to another level. And it's, it's different than other green building standards in a few important respects. One is that it is is performance-based and not prescriptive. And I had mentioned earlier how with like the Austin Energy Green Building Standard and with uh, LEED and, and the National Green Building Standard and these other systems, they're prescriptive in the sense that they have these checklists. And if you, if you mark off the check in the checklist, you get a certain number of points. And you know, so if you do this, you get some points. If you do that, you get some points. Um, Passive house basically sets some performance metrics that you have to hit in terms of uh, air tightness, uh, indoor air quality, and uh, energy efficiency in terms of you know the BTUs of energy being used to heat and cool the home on a per square foot basis. And uh, you know so it has these metrics, and you can as long as you hit those metrics. They're, they're pretty agnostic about how you do it in terms of what materials you use, the type of assembly, uh, you know, going into your home uh, and so on. And so it's, it's really, it's really zeroed in on, on how do we quantitatively measure the goals that we want uh, to achieve with the building um, and kind of leaves the pathway to get there pretty wide open. Uh, which is interesting to me uh, from a design perspective um, and, and trying to really value engineer, um, you know, one's way to, to this high performance. That being said, the, me the, the benchmarks you have to hit are very, very difficult to hit. And let me just provide a, a couple of examples to, to illustrate. So on air tightness, the, the basic air tightness that you have to achieve well, first of all, the way that they measure air tightness of a home, this would be interesting for some, some listeners, I'm sure. 
they do what's called a blower door test, typically at the very end of the project where you, you close all the doors and windows and then you install a giant fan on the front door of the house and you depressurize the house. And you, there's, you know, there's a sensor on the fan that's able to measure how much air is getting sucked through. And so it can measure how much air is leaking through your house under, under, when it's under this negative pressure. And the score you have to hit just to meet basic you know, 2018 building code is five air changes per hour under 50 pascals of pressure. They call this ACH 50, air changes per hour at 50 pascals of pressure. So that means the full volume of your house okay. times five per hour okay. under, under this amount of pressure. Well, the goal that we shoot for um, is part of our, you know, uh, participation in the Austin Energy Green Building Program is three air changes per hour. Mm -hmm. I should also mention that the scale is logarithmic, meaning that it's easier to get from five to four than it is to get from four to three than it is to get from three to two. Like as the building gets tighter and tighter, it's harder and harder to achieve additional tightness. You know, the holes to fill are getting smaller and smaller and more difficult to find. Okay, so basic building code is five. You know, a, a typical you know energy efficiency you know system will want you to get to at least three. Passive house requires zero point six. Wow. So just, I mean, a whole nother level, and mm -hmm. and very very difficult to achieve. So that's per hour, correct? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Yes, and in, in this wow. particular test of where you're de depressurizing the house. That's nothing. Yes, it's, uh, <laughs> it's quite the feat and just takes the utmost attention to detail, like I said, throughout the design and construction. Mm -hmm. So you, uh, you're building one here in Austin right now, or you're attempting to that, build one in Austin? That's right. Yeah, we've actually broken ground. Um, we're in the framing phase right now. Um, so uh, as of last week, we had um, walls uh, going up in the air, um, and they were starting to, starting to frame the, the floor systems for the second floor. And yeah, this project... Uh, it, it's, it's actually interesting how it came about where it's in the Mentopolis neighborhood, um, in sort of, you know, Southeast Austin, just South of the river. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we basically ended up, um, meeting a, a community leader and community organizer over there named Fred McGee. And he, he's a uh, president of a nonprofit called the Mentopolis community development corporation. And, so as we started building in the Mentopolis neighborhood, we, we got connected with him and he'd been looking for uh, a builder to partner with to do passive house. And he has, uh, you know, goals to do more affordable housing and things like that in the neighborhood. Um, and so he was actually the one who introduced us to passive house. He's actually from Germany. Um, and so was familiar with the standard. Um, and, you know, 
almost like it almost felt like a dare <laughs> like oh you guys do austin energy green building well you know that's that's small potatoes compared to passive house so uh you know lawrence and leanne took that as a challenge and said all right well we'll do it and and he ended up um you know bringing some some money to the table to help uh go through the passive house certification uh through the mentopolis community development corporation and um actually got some some grant funding from the city of austin green jobs program to do a passive house boot camp training for for tradespeople Um, that we did back in January, um, had like 11 participants in the bootcamp, I think. And, um, so yeah, it's been, it's just been a, a wonderful learning experience, uh, you know, going through this project and it's, it's showed us a lot of ways that we can improve upon what we're doing. It's really raised the bar and, um, yeah, very excited to see it, you know, getting off the ground and, and, you know, seeing the rubber hit the road. Yeah, that's really exciting. That's crazy difference there. So, uh, the normal, again, just to kind of recap, the normal standard is five air exchanges per hour. Uh, most of your houses right now are around three per hour and this is 0.6. So it's, more than five times more efficient well almost 10 times more efficient than a normal house um yeah and that's that's just on the measure of air tightness um i I guess i should expand just real quickly on on what else makes a passive house yeah um you know really what makes it passive by by passive they mean that you're not having to actively heat and cool with a lot of energy because it's so well insulated and, and so airtight. Um, and so, you know, the, the energy performance, um, you know, is the energy performance that you have to achieve to get the passive house rating, um, is just very rigorous and it involves having very efficient, uh, heating and cooling systems. Uh, a super well insulated building. I mean, on this, on this house, our roof insulation is going to be, you know, about two feet thick. I mean, just super well insulated. Um, and uh, even using uh, a pretty cool machine called a, a energy recovery ventilator that uh, as you're bringing fresh air into the house, which as you make homes really airtight, you have to, mechanically bring in some fresh air from the outside to keep the air inside fresh and and healthy. Um, Well, there's machines that they make that will, as you're bringing in fresh air and exhausting, you know, more, let's call it stale air from inside, um, you trade heat from from one uh, to the other. So if it's in the summer and you have air conditioned air inside and you're bringing in hot air that you don't want, uh, this machine will transfer some of that heat into the outgoing air. So the air coming into your house is a little bit cooler and a little more efficient to, to air condition and vice versa in the winter, as you're trying to keep the heat in, but you're still having to exhaust some air. Um, you trade some of the, the hot air or some of the heat from that exhaust air into the incoming fresh air, uh, to preheat it before it enters your house. So, um, yeah, and then the the windows that we talked about earlier, and and 
paying very close attention to the heat gains and losses through your windows is, is a really big part of passive house. And then the final piece worth mentioning is the indoor air quality um, benchmark for passive houses extremely high. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, a building exists to keep us healthy, to keep us safe and to keep us comfortable. And so, um, you know, what Passive House really is about is how do you maintain those conditions of, of health, safety, and comfort with as little like energy input as possible. Um, but the, the, the indoor air quality is a big one. Um, and that has to do with uh, filtering uh, the air in your, that's getting recirculated through your HVAC system, um, not having pollutants inside the house, uh, polluting your air and uh, avoiding those conditions for condensation and mold, which can have a, a you know, a negative impact on, on health. Okay. So it seems to me that if more homes could be built like this, it would just cut down on the amount of energy used tremendously. I know that's such a problem. And, you know, people were real worried we had another freeze about a week ago. Um, why the last freeze took us out there for a few days is the energy demands got so high for a couple of days, the power grid couldn't keep up with it. And there was lots of other issues too. That was just the basics of what happened. Power grid couldn't keep up with it and it, it all broke down essentially. Um, yeah, this is so cool that it's really, the, the word of it makes so much sense. It's a passive house. You don't have to do really too much to heat or cool it. So you did mention moisture. Yeah, and, and real quick, Jordan, um, the passive house, uh, they typically will use 10 to 20 times less energy for heating and cooling wow. than even a new house built to a 2018 building code. Wow. Yeah. And uh, you can find YouTube videos out there of people heating their house with like a hair dryer. <laughs> I mean, at, at that level of, of thermal efficiency, the body heat from the number of occupants inside actually contributes quite a lot to the heat cane wow. inside the inside the house. So yeah, we're, we're talking very efficient. And, and yes, to your point, if more homes were built this way, uh, it would, it would go a long way to uh, reducing our, our energy consumption and putting less stress on, on the grid. So you're building your first one right now. What are the plans in the future for passive houses in Austin? Because this sounds extremely attractive. And I know that more people are going to want this um, kind of irregardless of cost. Um, what, what are the plans moving forward? Yeah, well, it is, it is our ambition to get to a point where every house that we build can be passive house. Oh, cool. Um, the, you know, right now we're kind of in this phase of, of learning a lot uh, from the, this experience of building, you know, our first passive house while also having, you know, a dozen other houses under construction at the moment. And so we have all these other, all these other projects in our pipeline that we can't exactly, you know, turn on a dime and make them all passive house. So we're, we're finding the way, the incremental ways to get us from where we are to, to that goal. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it might take, you know, it might take months or years before, before we've really, um, you know, got all those pieces in place. And, and I mean, a big part of it is, uh, you know, making it 
viable for our trades. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of new things that we're asking now of our of our tradespeople to do that they've never done before, and that's very atypical of the industry. Um, we've got to make it viable from a cost perspective, and um, and there's a lot of new types of you know products going into this passive house that we've never bought before. We don't we don't really have like these developed relationships with with uh, with our vendor network, you know, with with the manufacturers and vendors um, to really start doing this at scale. So there's a lot of pieces that you know we're we're having to put into place, um, but you know, before, before passive house, uh, you know, and the goal was to try to make every house we build, um, you know, five-star Austin energy green building home, uh, which we've done on, um, I think every home except maybe five or six since I, since I joined the company and that's five stars of the five or six, um, the, the other ones achieved, you know, four and three stars. Uh, so still, still very good, but you know, not, the, not the highest rating you can get. And, um, the only house that we've built, uh, in the last, in the last two years that didn't get an Austin energy green building rating, um, was a duplex that, uh, could achieve one in the future, but due to supply chain issues at the, in the worst part of the pandemic, we weren't able to get the right, um, equipment that we needed to uh, uh, to meet one of the, the performance benchmarks uh, in one of the category categories there. But our the goal of the company has been to to make this like high performance energy efficient home standard, commonplace, um, and cost competitive with, with other homes in the market. And so you know the goal will be to do that eventually with passive house as well. That's awesome. So you're already at the top. You're already doing five-star green energy efficient homes, which is incredibly hard to hit. And now you're doing something that's five times more <laughs> energy efficient than that. Well, 10 to 20 times more energy efficient than that. A lot of the time it sounds like that's really cool. Um, where did you learn about all this stuff? So I know Leanne had mentioned you had you'd taken a lot of special education around this. How did you learn how to hit these, these high standards on the five-star green energy efficient? And then how did you learn more about how to do a passive house? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join GoBundance.com slash Emerge, GoBundance.com slash Emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole life millionaire. Yeah, well, uh, I've learned a lot from the people at at Austin Energy, uh, for one, and they've put together some really great resources and a pretty clear roadmap uh, to follow uh, to, you know, to, to participate with their program. But then beyond that, I did take, uh, I did do some online learning and became a certified green professional through the National Association of Home Builders. Uh, they have uh, a handful of, of online programs uh, that you can take that that uh, result in these these professional certifications, and um, you know, Fortunate Foundations uh, paid for me to to do that training, and um, since then, it's also just been like an ongoing learning. 
I mean, I, I can nerd out pretty hard on, on building assemblies and looking at all the different layers, all the different materials. There's so many different iterations and, and ways it can go and, and looking at the building science and looking at the, the physics, um, you know, uh, the, the, the modeling of, of how these different assemblies perform in different conditions. And, and so there's a lot of resources out there online and, and on YouTube and, um, you know, I mean, I've, I've watched a lot of Matt Reisinger's uh, build show on YouTube and learned a lot from that. And, and then when it came to Passive House, um, the, the group that we brought to, to Austin to do that um, Passive House tradesperson training back in January is called EMU, like the bird, EMU. Mm-hmm. And they're based out of Denver. Uh, and I had previously last year, traveled to Denver to take the course with them there. And uh, at that time in, in the pandemic, I had to do the, the online portion that was like 10 week online course. And then uh, just went in person for the final like three days uh, where you build, they break you up in different teams. There's a hands-on portion where they, oh, they cool. break you up into different teams and you have to build a tiny house, like the size of a refrigerator, but big enough to install a window and have like a plumbing penetration and an HVAC vent penetration. And, mm. and it's a competition to see which team can build <laughs> the tightest and most um, best insulated energy efficient little pod, uh, they call them. Uh, and so that program was really great. And they're the, the leading um, educational providers for uh, passive house training in the United States for the international passive house standard. There's a separate US based uh, standard uh, called FIAS, Passive House Institute of the US. Um, and their program is, is to the international standard, uh, which is still administered you know, in, in Germany, um, but uh, all over the world. So that's, that's worth pointing out. There, there's, there's two kind of main um, institutes you'll find when you start looking in the passive house, uh, here in the U S. Um, but yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of been my educational path to get here. And then just a ton of, uh, on the job learning about what works, what doesn't work. I mean, you have, you get these ideas, uh, and then you try to introduce them to your trades, <laughs> your, your trades people. And they're like, no way. <laughs> you're like, all right, back to the drawing board. Um, or, you know, you have to look at the supply chain and what, what, what products are available to you at, uh, at the right price and at the right lead time. And, and, you know, it's, it's a constant dance to, to, to try to, you know, find the right solutions. Sure. So, you know, that seems like the, this is something that anybody, regardless of what their interests are, would care about because, no matter if you're somebody that just wants to save money on energy bills or you're somebody that really does care about the environment and that's really important to you, this having a more energy efficient home, especially if you have a passive house, it's just going to check all those boxes. So yeah, it saves you money. Yeah, you're also saving the earth. And it's, it's such a cool thing. Um, I'm really excited to see these projects when you get done with them. And I have a feeling, what did you say two years ago, in the last two years, you've only built one that hasn't been five-star? I think... One, one, one project that didn't get an Austin Energy Green Building rating. 
yep. it was a duplex. So it was mm-hmm. two, technically two homes. Um, and then, yeah, we've had a few that, that were three and four stars and not five, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, a lot of that was because the supply chain is crazy right now. It's impossible to get anything on time. Um, anybody dealing with any sort of construction is, is realizing that, but I have a feeling here in the next few years, a lot of the houses you'll be doing are these passive houses. Once you guys learn it and get it down and it becomes that attractive when that first passive house goes on the market, people see what's out there and what it can actually do. I wouldn't be surprised if we talk in, in two or three years and say, oh, we've done uh, 50% of the houses we're building as passive houses. Cause I know that's so important to people and I just know that's going to catch on. So that's so cool. Um, yeah. One thing I'll, I'll just, throw in there real quick is, I mean, your listeners and and just people in general, they might not ever be builders, but chances are they're going to be homeowners Mm -hmm. and they're definitely going to be, you know, tenants or they're going to live in a home. So, yeah, I mean, I think that everyone can benefit from having some understanding of, of what makes an energy efficient home and and what makes a really healthy home and paying attention to indoor air quality and, and things like this. And, you know, there's a lot of greenwashing out there. I mean, there's a lot of people who, you know, make claims about what they're doing. And, um, you know, I think that there's a lot of value to these third-party certifiers. And um, I'm hoping that that passive house will become something that people, that the general population starts to become more familiar with and, and really see as a next level high performance product and something that they want. And, um, you know, I, we all, we will all benefit from that, you know? Um, sure. Yeah. Everybody will literally benefit from that, you know, cause it's using less energy and it's, it's helping the earth more. So I just can't see how anybody wouldn't benefit from that. Uh, yeah, our no, competitors, <laughs> your competitors. Yeah. will not benefit from that, but you know, it's not all about money and yeah. most people understand that. And, you know, if, if your competitors want to keep up, they can also learn how to do it and then you can have stronger competition. So the whole, uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. Yeah. It's going to get harder, but that's going to force everybody else to get better. So I think that's a good thing. Exactly. We, we want demand to drive the change in the supply and we want people to demand this higher quality product because they've, they've seen it being done. They know it's possible. Um, you know, and so that's the kind of change, that's the kind of impact we really hope to have on the, on the market. Yeah, and if you weren't out here doing these harder and next level things, you know, it wouldn't force other people to up their game too. So I think it's really cool that you're doing that. Um, do you have a favorite book that you like to recommend around construction and building? If somebody was interested to learn more. Oh man, a favorite book. Um, and it doesn't have to be construction or building. It could be, you know, a real estate or business too. Well, or, or just I don't know, a of a con- I don't know of a construction book that comes to mind but, sure. um, because I've done just, uh, well, it's kind of like also, I mean, I, most of the books I read about construction and building science are, they're kind of like textbook style. I mean, they're, they're kind of dense. They're not like yeah. uh, pleasure reading for most people. Um, so it's hard to think of a specific one that's, that's generally, um, you know, applicable, but 
you did mention, you know, other business and real estate books. And mm -hmm. I don't know, the first one that jumped to mind for me was the E-Myth. And there's actually uh, a, a book in that series called the E-Myth for Contractors that I just thought was really awesome. Um, but essentially what that book really is about is, is systems and how a business really is just a system of systems. And, um, you know, systems can be like habits or, you know, just processes that you have. Um, but at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, we're, we're all just products of processes and, uh, your, your the product in your business, uh, is the product of the processes in your business. And so just paying attention to, to building the right systems. Um, and in that way, also in business, you become less dependent on like individual people, um, and more dependent on having the right systems in place, the right information, the right like embedded knowledge in your organization so that as people change and, 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 and you know, leave your company and new people come into the company, you're, you don't lose so much of the value mm -hmm. of your business um, every time. Um, but the value is actually baked into systems that new people can plug into and, and, and perform the way you need them to perform. And so that whole mindset um, that, that he lays out in that, in that series of books um, really was transformative for me as as an entrepreneur, uh, myself, and as a, as a, you know, an employee in a, in a very like entrepreneurial and innovative company, like fortunate foundations. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say you don't have a business if you don't have any systems and processes. So if you've just people running around it, it's very quickly, not a business. Like you said, if somebody leaves the business is completely changed. So if you can't keep the same level of service and product going out, no matter who's plugged in there. And of course you're going to plug in the best people, but no matter who those people are, what their experience level is, if you can't keep that product coming, you don't have systems or processes. Awesome. So yeah, love the EMF. I know there's a whole series of different books. Uh, the EMF, I have the EMFs or real estate investors, EMF real estate brokerage. And then of course the regular old EMF is also really good. So mm -hmm. love that series of books too. Um, Lloyd, What's the best way people can get a hold of you or they can reach out and find out more about you? Well, they can email me. I'm at Lloyd at fortunatefoundations.com. Lloyd is just L-L-O-Y-D at fortunatefoundations.com. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm rarely on Facebook, but I have a Facebook profile. Uh, so yeah, I think those are, I think those are the best ways to get in touch with me. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to share knowledge and, and, um, you know, nerd out about this stuff. Love it. Yeah. If, if more people can get better at this and I think the world's going to be a better place. All right, Lloyd, most important question we have here today, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Hmm. Well, I would say that for dinner, my favorite restaurant is Daidue, mm -hmm. but for breakfast, Fonda San Miguel's Sunday brunch is just a heck of an experience. The best brunch in town and, and a real treat for, you know, a special occasion. Awesome. And we will have that in the show notes. So if you want to reach out to Lloyd, it's Lloyd at fortunatefoundations.com. And that's L O 
L L O Y D and Dai Du and Fonda San Miguel for breakfast. Awesome, Lloyd. Thank you so much for coming on here today. Again, I highly recommend that anybody that needs to learn anything more about green building, reach out to Lloyd and Fortunate Foundations. They're doing some awesome stuff. Thanks, Jordan. Really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thank you so much. We will talk here soon. All right, take care. Bye.